Have you checked out the new Brian Nichols Show collection over at Proud Libertarian? Head to briannicholsshow.com forward slash shop and you can grab some amazing Liberty swag that will definitely help pique some interest from our good ideas don't require force snapbacks, Alexa overthrow the government t-shirts, question everything mugs, and of course our ever popular don't hurt people, don't take people's stuff bumper sticker. The Brian Nichols Show shop over at Proud Libertarian has all the Liberty swag you need. And hey, if you're looking for more awesome Liberty apparel, check out the rest of the amazing Proud Libertarian store while you're over there. And be sure to use code TBNS at checkout to get 10% off your entire order. That's right, 10% off your entire order from Proud Libertarian, including everything over at the Brian Nichols Show shop. And all you have to use is code TBNS at checkout. One more time, head to briannicholsshow.com forward slash shop and check out the brand new Brian Nichols Show store over at Proud Libertarian and use code TBNS at checkout for 10% off your entire order. We can become great at doing the the things that we do well, the things that are, we focus on. Like I'm, I think our audience is great at selling liberty. I think we have yeah. been amazing at doing that. Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. As a sales and marketing executive in the greater telecommunications cybersecurity industry, Brian works with C-level executives to help them future-proof their company's infrastructure for an uncertain future. And in each episode, Brian takes that experience and applies it to the liberty movement. You start to ask questions that piques interest and get him to feel like, okay, this guy's actually got something that maybe can help me out. And then in your asking of questions and trying to uncover the real problems, build that natural trust. I know I went in the monologue there, man. <laughs> Instead of focusing on simply winning arguments or being right, we're teaching the basic fundamentals of sales and their application in the world of politics, showing you how to ask better questions, tell better stories, and ultimately change people's minds. And now, your host, Brian Nichols. Hey there, folks. Yes, we have made it halfway through the week and already, what, a quarter through the month of July? Where did time go? I I don't know. Well, hey, welcome to today's episode of The Brian Nichols Show. Now, I'm sure that you guys are just riveting for a conversation about responsible monetary policy. I swear to God, I was just shaking in my boots thinking this was going to be such a dense conversation. Well, guess what? Don't, don't have preconceived notions. How about that? Don't judge a book by its cover because believe it or not, a conversation about responsible monetary policy as is heard on today's episode with Alex Salter ended up being absolutely fantastic. I I honestly feel this might be one of the best episodes to leave you feeling truly educated, enlightened, and informed because Alex takes a very complex and sometimes very hard to digest topic like monetary policy, specifically responsible monetary policy, and makes it easy for you, the average person, to understand. Now, granted, you are definitely not the average person. You are on level 10 of just being a member of the Brian Nichols Show audience, but to your average person, this is a great opportunity to help enter into a conversation if they're talking about monetary policy. Let's say they're a fan of Bitcoin. Well, toss them this episode, get them involved, get them interested, enter into the conversation they're already having. But with that being said, on to the show, Alex Salter here on The Brian Nichols Show. Thank you, Brian. Great to be here. Alex, great to have you here. And thank you for uh, for joining us on the pro- uh, the program to focus on monetary issue. Now, okay, elephant in the room, folks. Monetary policy isn't something that we usually are like, I'm so excited to talk about this today. However, 
Alex is approaching this from a very unique perspective. And, and when he reached out, we were talking about some of the problems we're seeing in terms of actually being able to have a cohesive uh, economic uh, situation where countries can go into kind of understanding of how in, engagement in, in currency and exchange will take place. So how can we help solve kind of that, that Tower of Babel problem. So, Alex, I'm excited to have you in the program. You're going to really help, I think, give some some light and shed some light here onto a sometimes very confusing topic. But let's start off with your introduction. What's your kind of intro here into this greater, I guess, in, in your world, uh, the world of monetary policy? And how'd you find yourself uh, here on The Brian Nichols Show as a libertarian-ish podcast? Great question. So first, I want to say uh, no hard feelings about not being enthusiastic about monetary policy. As a, mon as a monetary economist, we try and keep it as boring as possible because that keeps the supply of monetary economists low and hence our wages high. So it's, it's a clever ploy. to Supply and demand. Right? There you go. So this is actually the culmination of a research project that I've been working on ever since my doctoral dissertation and, and really longer. I've been looking at this issue of how can we get responsible and effective monetary policy that at the same time sort of fits our basic commitments to democracy, the rule of law, and all these things. Uh, if you look at the, ent the entity that's responsible for implementing monetary policy in the United States, the Federal Reserve, not very many people understand what they're up to. And there's a reason for that. They try really hard not to be understood. And so there's this idea that monetary policy is sort of opaque and esoteric and it's something for experts only. I don't like that view because it seems contrary to the ideals of democracy and contrary to the idea of the American experiment itself, where we have citizens actually participating in self-governance. So I wrote this book largely to sort of square the circle of trying to figure out, okay, how can we get responsible and effective macroeconomic policy that actually does a good job of fighting business cycles and keeping people employed, while at the same time doesn't get lost in sort of the, the technical pyrotechnics and mathematical exercises that you frequently see in macroeconomics journals. So ultimately, the goal is trying to get people to understand the monetary system a little bit better and see if we can't get better, uh, get a better monetary system while we're at it. Wow. Okay. That's a lot. So let's kind of set the, the stage here for what is the premise? You mentioned the Fed, uh, the monetary governing body here in the United States. And, and yes, people don't really know what they're up to. Candidly, sometimes I don't think they know what they're up to. They're just kind of, you know, house of cards and we got in here. Let's see what happens. So I'm looking forward to seeing how we can maybe tie this together across not just the United States, but all these other you know countries that are out there that we are, are engaging in commerce. And now you mentioned macroeconomics. I you know went to, to school for some some micro and macro. And I remember I went to macro and I'm like, a lot of the stuff in macro we're learning is based on assumptions and based on governments taking action, doing things versus larger, I guess, I guess like still looking at free trade, free exchange of goods and services. And it started to have this, this you know, hand of government being really the, the necessary facilitator to move economic progress forward. So let's start here. What would be the ideal for this quote unquote rule of law in terms of your vision for a monetary policy? Would it be one focusing more on that free market perspective or would it be one where, yes, government would unfortunately have to have some type of role? So in the book, we make a very straightforward argument conditional on having a central bank as long as we've got the Federal Reserve, we want it to follow a strict rule for monetary policy. What that means is we want the target or the goal of monetary policy to be decided for the Fed by someone other than the Fed. For practical purposes, that means Congress. And really, we, we want this because we don't want the Fed to be able to decide the limits of its own mandate or to be a judge in its own cause. 
right? We, we have this idea in American democracy that in order for an activity to be lawful, it must conform with the basic jurisprudential tenets of democracy, right? Okay. And if a federal agency can just do whatever it wants, well, that's not lawful, right? So conditional on having a Fed, we want there to be a strict rule limiting what it can do. If you're asking me, is modern central banking the first best monetary system? Would I pick this if we didn't have this? The answer is absolutely not. Absolutely. So not. this is it, to, to maybe give a good analogy. Uh, this would be much like in the, the camp of what our friend Corey DeAngelis is doing from a school choice perspective, focusing on, hey, if we're going to have this system where we're going to have taxpayer dollars going to educating students, well, can we at least have the dollars go towards the students? Let's fund students and not institutions. Is, is this kind of in that same mentality? Like, let's make sure that if we are going to have this system where the we, we can't get the ideal we have to acknowledge the Fed's just going to exist. That at the very least, we can try to you know put some fail safes in in place to to maybe make it focus more on trying to do proper monetary policy versus trying to inflate bubbles and stop bubbles from popping. Yeah, I think that's the thrust of it. So we're talking about a second best, third best, fourth best world here, right? We we live in the world that we have. We face the constraints that we face. Chances are the Federal Reserve is not going anywhere. So if we have to put up with this, how can we make it work as well as possible while at the same time getting it to follow the rules of the game a little bit better? Now, if you're pushing me personally, I'm actually much more favorable to a commodity standard system like the gold standard combined with uh, free banking, basically no statutory regulations on money and banking. Uh, the only rules that I think that you need for an effective banking system are the general laws of property, contract, and to uh, tort, like you find in the, the Anglo-American legal tradition. So even in the provision of money, I'm personally a free market guy. I would like to, like to see a lot more market forces in the provision of money, banking, and credit. But as long as we don't live in that world, we got to figure out, well, we have to put up with the Fed. So how can we make, how can we make it suck the least? Right. Yeah. We, we can't let perfection be the enemy of progress or exactly. good. Right. And I think right. we, we do see this too often than not. Some of my libertarian friends, they will only focus on the ideal and, and saying we have to only focus on that. I'm saying, can we accept the wins when we get the wins? And like, let's incrementally move liberty. Now, granted, I understand. I get it. We can only do incremental steps so so long until, you know, you realize that you know, you're, you're getting your little incremental steps. And then the, the other side's taking leaps and bounds, you know, of your freedoms away. So I understand there are times when we need to maybe take a bit larger than incremental steps. However, when we're looking at a system and you're you're really helping set the stage here for a very intertwined and let's look at it in a truly macro sense, because it is not just these, you know, these states and, and businesses within the confines of the United States. But now we're starting to look at all these different countries coming together. So let's set this rule of law for a monetary policy. How would this look now based on, I guess, the, uh, the, the research that you guys have been doing? What would be the best approach to help create this, uh, this, this I guess, fundamental rule? Is that fair to say? Yeah, the fundamental rule, the rule of law, both of those are good ways of getting at what we're talking about. So I'll give you a comparison to what the Federal Reserve is doing right now. The Fed does have a monetary rule that has what it calls a 2% average inflation target, which it just adopted uh, in August of 2020. According to this rule, and I'm going to put rule in uh, scare quotes, because as we see, it's not much of a rule. We'll talk about that in a minute. According to that rule, the Fed is going to try and hit 2% inflation on average over the long run. The reason it's not a real rule is because it's self-chosen, it's self-adopted, which means that it can ignore the rule or not follow the rule or deviate from the rule whenever it wants. 
If it decides that it wants to focus more on other things, it can do that whenever it wants. If it decides that for whatever reason, following the rule is in its interest, it'll follow the rule. But a rule that doesn't bind your hands isn't much of a rule at all. What I and my co-authors want is something much stricter. We actually want something forcing the Federal Reserve to pick a target that it is itself not allowed to choose and be forced to hit that target. Speaking for me, not for my co-authors, speaking for me, what I would like is for Congress to actually change the mandate of the Federal Reserve, right? You've probably heard of the famous dual mandate where the Fed is supposed to pursue stable prices and full employment. I think that that gives the Fed way too much latitude. I think that we should pick a single goal that's denominated in a variable like market prices that the Fed actually has some control over and basically narrow the Fed's mandate as much as we can so it stops having this excuse of, oh, well, we're trying to juggle multiple things, which is why we're doing a bad job. We need to be able to take away that excuse because, frankly, it's not much of an excuse, and it's not a good reason for them to continue to let down the American people every five to ten years when there's a crisis. So I just had – so part of the, the program, what we do is we talk about sales and marketing. And uh, actually here in this past Monday, Jeremy Todd, uh, who is one of my cohorts here in the program who helps talk about sales, we were talking about storytelling and the value of storytelling. So here's a great analogy and a little story, right? You, we all know the person who is morbidly obese and they, they will set their goal. I'm going to lose 20 pounds in the next month. Okay, great. How are you going to do it? Going to do it. And then – Who's holding them accountable? Nobody. They're, they're, they are setting their own standards of what good is. But sometimes we need to have that person holding your hand. You need the trainer, right, to say, hey, here's what we need you to do in order to get to where we want you to get to. And it's going to require you to do things that are uncomfortable. And I think right there, that's to the, the point and the main problem of the status that really the, the Federal Reserve is the status quo. There is an embrace and really it, we see this not just here, here in this example, but in business, in life, people embrace status quo because if if you start to get out of that status quo, you start entering into these world lands of uncomfortableness. And we don't like to be uncomfortable. So if we can at least kind of pretend that we know what's coming, we can prepare for it. Right. And I think that maybe is where we're, we're going with the Fed there. They know the bubble is getting bigger. So how can we try and hold on to this as long as we can without having this ginormous bubble pop. And I mean, God bless him. I'll give credit where credit's due. They've been doing it. <laughs> I mean, we've had the bubble pop some, but it's just inflated even larger than that next time. So, I mean, they've kept this current bubble despite the economic crash here due to the COVID lockdowns. They've kept it relatively skyrocketing, but Granted, we've also seen a massive inflation here in in you know the past uh, year with what was it a third of the American dollars being printed uh, printed here in the past uh, I think it was a year and a half or so some some crazy number like that Alex but who am I to speak I'm not the economist here you are so let's kind of focus um you know going forward how would this look in real life how would we be able to take what you're talking about here establishing this rule of law for a monetary policy. And actually get people to be on board with it, because obviously there's the incentive structures in place to maintain that status quo. So how are you entering into those conversations, get people to actually want to make that change? Great question. So one of our main audiences for this book was scholars working on macroeconomics, the political economy of monetary policy, that sort of thing. Uh, we tried also very hard to write the book in a way that would be intelligible to, you know, the, the proverbial intelligent layman. But one of the things that we wanted to do is move the needle 
in scholarly and policy discourse away from this idea that central banks need a large amount of discretion, right? The argument that you'll frequently hear is we can't bind central banks' hands with the rule because macroeconomics is complicated. Sometimes factor A matters more, sometimes factor B matters more. So we got to leave them a little bit of wiggle room to be able to adjust to changing circumstances. And our counter argument is no, it's actually, it's actually the very complexity of the macroeconomy that cuts in favor of there being a strict rule, right? The phrase that I like to use, which was the title of a book not that long ago, is simple rules for a complex world. The economy is too complex to fine tune. There's too much going on for central bankers to be this sort of pick and choose technocrat, picking winners and losers and trying to stabilize the system. The least bad that we can do is create a stable foundation for macroeconomic activity by saying, okay, Here's the central bank. Here's the monetary system. Here's the rule that the central bank is going to follow. It's public. It's credible. They're never going to deviate from it. Now the market can make its contracts and build its expectations based off that rule, right? So instead of trying to like build the house piece by piece, all we're doing is setting the foundation and then letting markets and businesses and households build on top of that. It's very much in the American tradition of ordered liberty, I think. So I think that we're going to find a lot of uh, sympathetic audiences for this argument. Well, I am sure you will here, but like, what about the Janet Yellens of the world? She's going to fight you tooth and nail, won't she? Prob almost certainly. So there are almost certainly going to be some people that you're just not going to win over. And I don't think that that's cynicism per se. I think that people like central bankers, uh, people who are high up in treasury, right? It's not that they're going to resist this argument because they want to protect their jobs. It's that they've self-selected into those jobs because they're already convinced that the kind of argument that I'm making is wrong. So I don't think there's, that there's any, there's any academic dishonesty or anything like that going on, but you're absolutely right that there is a number of interested parties in preserving the status quo and will fight tooth and nail to preserve it. And so that's why my personal approach, although it comes with its own risks, is to try and go through Congress. I think that you're much more likely to find some legislators who are concerned with what the Federal Reserve is doing than you are going to be likely to find uh, central bankers and treasury officials, right? Their only complaints are that their respective agencies don't have enough power. Congress might actually be in the business of saying, actually, you have too much power and we're going to try and step this thing back a bit. Now, that does come with its own difficulties, right? You definitely don't want to... Uh, walk a tightrope where you get involved with the situation where you have people on short-term election cycles trying to decide when to run the printing presses, because that can obviously go bad, you know, really, really quick. So without uh, dovetailing to that sort of a nasty equilibrium, we would want uh, more farsighted legislators to step in and say, okay, Federal Reserve, we've had two crises in the last 10, 15 years where, frankly, you haven't covered yourself in glory. So how about we change things up a little bit and try and make this more acceptable to the American people? Audit the Fed and the Fed. We had both approaches. Neither really did end up happening. I mean, kind of got some lip service for a little bit, and then it just fades away. Nobody really talks about it again. Would that help at all? Is this anything that we could take as a middle ground to help get to a rule of law by actually auditing the Fed? I hope so. I think the problem with the problem with end the Fed is that it went straight to that without trying to persuade the relevant stakeholders. Right. There wasn't even any attempt to try and persuade members of Congress so much that this is something that should be done. It was a very popular movement. And actually, it was one of the things that I was big into uh, back in 2008, 2010 or so. Uh, the problem with it is that it doesn't have much staying power because it doesn't have a way of persuading the decision makers that there's an actual problem here that needs to be solved. Audit the Fed, I was never so much of a fan of because I don't think that they're really keeping anything secret. 
I think that everything that they're doing, they're doing in public and they're doing it because they can. They have no need to keep secrets, right? They're just sort of doing what they're doing and they can get away with it because no one's pushing back and challenging them in a way that will work. What I'm hoping with this volume is that we have a way of persuading people, okay, we have a way of implementing a monetary rule that's going to actually fight macroeconomic recessions and do the economic stabilization thing, which we like, but is also democratically accountable and fulfills the sort of constitutional rule of law paradigm. So that's why I think that maybe with our approach, a sort of middle uh, intermediate approach, we can get enough buy-in that we can actually change the conversation towards restraining the Fed. And I don't think that you can't have these broader conversations at the same time, right? Mm. You can talk at the same time. You can say the Fed should follow a rule. Oh, and by the way, the gold standard worked better. Both of those statements are true. I say them all the time. There's no reason that you need to go all in on one without also making the case for, the, for another, right? I think that there are multiple arguments on which you can make these pro-liberty, pro-sound money, pro-responsible economic policy arguments. And, and at the end of the day, I see all of these as complements to each other rather than substitutes. So what's the actionable uh, step that the audience can take today? Because obviously there's people who are like, ooh, this sounds interesting. You've piqued my interest, Alex. Tell me more. And they want to know what the next step is. So is it voting for members of Congress who are going to be looking at getting some more, I guess, control and reining in the authority of the Fed, helping create that independent, almost autonomous oversight? Is, is that the first step? I think that that's not a bad first place to start. Look, I still think that at the end of the day, representatives are going to respond to the desires of their constituents. If you know, 10% of the people who buy our book, listen to these podcasts, would actually write a letter to the representative saying, hey, I think the Federal Reserve isn't going somewhere and I want you to take a look at that. That at least would be something, right? We actually need citizens to get involved in monetary policy. And again, like you noted, that's pretty hard because of this popular image that monetary policy and macroeconomics is this esoteric secret thing that only people with PhDs can understand. Really, that's not the case. Monetary policy is actually reasonably straightforward if you boil it down to its essences, is essence, right? If you're trying to figure out how to implement responsible monetary policy to combat a business cycle and how we need some institution to actually do the adjusting of the monetary base, because unlike on a commodity system like a gold standard, uh, fiat money doesn't adjust automatically. So someone's actually got to go out there and do it. So if we got a critical mass of people interested in this idea, looking at the Federal Reserve hey, saying, hey, what is the Fed doing making direct loans to state and local governments? What is the Federal Reserve doing buying corporate bonds of Berkshire Hathaway and Coca-Cola? That's not monetary policy. That's, that's politically motivated, not economically motivated. So I do think that in a democracy, the first people that you need to persuade is the citizenry. And so I hope that with this project, we can get people to, to pay a little bit more attention to what the Fed is doing and hopefully contact the representatives and ask them, uh, excuse me, sir, excuse me, madam, what are you doing about this? Because this frankly looks like a problem to me. So when they go ahead and our audience purchases money in the rule of law, what can they expect from, from start to finish? Is it going to be more of a how this works, or is this going to be a step-by-step -step how we're going to implement it, or is it a combination of the two? No, this is very much an argument for here's why you should take our, our conclusion seriously. Here's okay. why we think that the Fed needs rules. In the introductory chapter, we lay out the case, basically showing that the Federal Reserve has not done a very good job. It keeps on making the same mistakes over and over again. And we contend that those, dis those mistakes are actually caused by discretion in monetary policy. 
In the next chapters, we sort of go a little bit deeper into why discretionary monetary policy fails. We have a chapter each on incentive and information problems. Uh, we have a chapter on the financial crisis of 2008 and what went wrong there, right? And so we uh, we had a lot of fun writing that chapter. That might be the meatiest one in the book. And then the remaining chapters in the book are putting forward our alternative, what we call the classically liberal alternative, where we survey the thought of, of notable economists like F.A. Hayek and Milton Friedman and James Buchanan, all three of whom won the Nobel Prize and concluded at the end of their careers, you know what, if we're going to have a central bank, it really needs to follow a rule. And so by by explaining and updating and continuing to extend their lessons and insights, we think we've made a really, really strong argument for monetary rules that we think that experts and the lay public can equally appreciate. Worst case scenario. That's where my head is right now. Let's put on our doomsday hats. Let's just pretend monetary policy stays as is. The Fed say, Alex, up yours. We're not going to listen to you. <laughs> Go pound sand. We're just going to keep doing what we want to do and making our own darn rules and holding ourselves accountable, just like the morbidly obese person going to Planet Fitness and having 14 slices of pizza after the workout. So let's say that is the mentality that the Fed takes moving forward. Where do you see us 10, 20, 50 years from now? Help, help scare us into scare us straight, Alex. Good question. So uh, predictions are tricky, especially about the future, Yogi Berra once said. I think that the big worry right now is going to be not just from monetary policy by itself, but the interactions between fiscal and monetary policy. Right, The last year, the response to COVID on the fiscal side, right, by congressional spending started by, you know, pushed by various presidents, both President Trump and now President Biden, uh, now President Biden wants to continue that. We're talking about ratcheting up deficits to levels that we haven't seen since the Second World War and keeping them there, right? They're going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And frankly, we can't pay for these. So I think what that's going to result in, or at least what it could result in, is the White House and the Treasury putting pressure on the Fed to continue to keep the printing presses running to monetize the deficit, right? If we're just going to run deficits again and again and again, and not pay for it with taxes, there's really only one alternative, right? You got to pay for it with the printing press. So I'm not terribly worried about the inflation that we're observing right now. I actually do think that there's a strong case that the inflation that we're seeing right now at the end of the COVID pandemic is transitory, but it's not going to be transitory if there's this new unholy alliance slash cooperation between fiscal authorities and monetary authorities, right? If there's all this political pressure by the people spending the money, to get accommodative conditions by the people who print money, that's when we're going to start to see 1970s style inflation. So that might not necessarily happen, right? The central bank might actually say, uh, no, fiscal authorities, this is a really bad idea and we're not going to help you out with that. I don't know if they have the guts to stand up to the White House, though. So one way or another, we're going to find out the hard way or maybe we're going to find out the hard way or maybe a little less of a hard way, I hope, uh, just what the central bank is made of, whether they have the stern stuff necessary to implement responsible policy rather than politically expedient policy. Although if we could trust them to do that, guess what? We wouldn't have needed to write our book. <laughs> What's the expression? The testicular fortitude that might be needed. <laughs> let's see if the, uh, the I don't know, man, I'm not going to hold my breath. Oh. But let's, let's make sure folks have not just the action item in terms of what they can do to help get this into action, but we want folks to be able to help support you and make sure they're raising awareness, but also getting educated. So where can folks go ahead and find money and the rule of law, Alex? 
Yeah, sure. You can find a link to it at my website, awsalter.com. You can find a website dedica- dedicated to the book, moneyandtherulelaw.com. Uh, it's available for sale on Amazon, directly from sale from the publisher, Cambridge University Press. If you enter the uh, code, if you decide to buy it directly from Cambridge and enter the code BETKE21, B O E T T K E 21, you'll get a 20% discount. Uh, the paperback is very reasonably priced. The Kindle version is even more reasonably priced. So all of you who like e-readers go for it. I very much hope that this book is widely read, widely discussed, and we can make a serious effort to getting the citizenry engaged in uh, holding the Federal Reserve a little more accountable than they've previously been. Hey, let's take some of those. I know people are going to cringe. Pragmatic steps trying to get some real solutions in place. And guess what, folks? When people see some of these solutions actually working, they're going to say, tell me more. Alex Salter, thank you so much for joining us here on today's episode of The Brian Nichols Show. Brian, it was great. Thank you so much for having me. Before we wrap up, I want to tell you about an amazing new podcast. You longtime listeners of The Brian Nichols Show know him well, and that is one Brad Palumbo in his stellar new program, Breaking Boundaries. Join Brad as he interviews top writers, politicians, and thinkers from all across the political spectrum to give you a new perspective you won't find in the mainstream liberal media or right-wing echo chambers. From guests like Rand Paul to Glenn Greenwald, Brad is having conversations and focusing on issues that are driving America with the people who are in the driver's seats. So, head over to your favorite podcast app, hit subscribe, strap in, and be prepared for some wild food takes like Rand Paul and his grand mayonnaise conspiracy. Again, that's Breaking Boundaries with Brad Palumbo available in your favorite podcasting app today. Told you. Told you so. I told you that monetary policy could be interesting. And how about that? Alex Salter, thank you so much for joining us here on today's very, very informative episode of The Brian Nichols Show. If you got value out of the program, well, do me a solid. Go ahead, share today's episode, and tag yours truly at B Nichols Liberty, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, kind of not really doing too much with Minds and Parlor. I'm just being real. I don't really use them too much. If the audiences get bigger there, we'll see. But honestly, right now, we're going to be focusing a lot of our time and energy and efforts on reaching people. Yes, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at B Nichols Liberty. And yes, I have a TikTok, I guess, at B Nichols Liberty. Thanks, Chris Goyzetta. Oh, by the way, thank you for all the kind words we've been hearing about our awesome episode back on Monday with Chris Goyzetta talking about why your Facebook ads aren't working. Um, I, I'm astonished at how many folks were like, me, that's me. They're talking about me. So if your Facebook ads aren't working, make sure you head back to Monday's episode. Check that out. Um, but yes, thank you for all the folks who have been uh, reaching out and saying they enjoy it. So if you are enjoying the conversations we're talking about, yes, sales with Jeremy Todd and our, our sales episodes there on the off weeks. And then, of course, our Marketing Mondays here we just had with Chris Goizetta. Well, then you can go ahead and catch all that. Plus, as we tease there on Monday, Chris is going to be giving his entire library of his being a professor and his courses for marketing, and we've focused on uh, our ads there for Facebook and Instagram on yes or on uh, Monday's episode. That is, <clears throat> that's going to be available for our Patreon subscribers at our ten dollar account level executive uh, account executive level. That is uh, per month. So first and foremost, what is that? Patreon, BrianNicholsShow.com forward slash support. You can sign up to be either a five dollar or ten dollar a month subscriber. Either way, you will get one of these. Don't hurt people. Don't get people stuff bumper sticker. But yes, access to these amazing courses, learning about things like what your Facebook ads and in fact why they're not working. But beyond that, 
a plethora of all the other courses that Chris has developed over the years. Plus, we're going to be having webinars, one-on-one uh, -on -one conversations, and uh, more Q&As. Any sales and marketing questions you have uh, that you can ask the Brain Trust here at The Brian Nichols Show, but also questions you get to go ahead and ask some amazing sales professionals here. So really quick, wanted to give a great shout out to our awesome Patreon subscribers, Daryl Schmitz, Laura Stanley, Michael Lemma, Michael, uh, Mitchell Mankowitz, Hody Johns, Craig DaCosta, and of course, we are Libertarians. Thank you to you amazing Patreon subscribers for supporting us here at The Brian Nichols Show and helping us grow, reaching more people. And uh, also, by the way, if you want to share that you are a part of The Brian Nichols Show audience, yes, the fastest growing movement here in the greater liberty podcast movement because what are we doing we're helping sell liberty by piquing people's interests changing people's hearts and minds teaching how to ask better questions and if you are proud that you are one of those voices in the greater liberty movement who are in fact making a difference well wear that with pride you can go ahead and get uh, as many different options over at our proud libertarian store briannicholsshow.com forward slash shop i am so Thankful to have a great partner like Proud Libertarian where we have amazing mugs. I'm like, check out this Brian Nichols Show mug. Isn't that cool? And this is for you YouTube listener, of course. Uh, our bubble-free stickers. When they say bubble-free, I was like, like, what does that mean? It means it doesn't doesn't make a bubble. So I put my nice sticker here on my Yeti uh, glass. So that plus we have t-shirts. I love my Google overthrow the government as well as my don't hurt people and don't take their stuff t-shirt. Uh, I have my good ideas don't require for snapback uh, and a plethora of other options available. Our cool mask, bro. Uh, are you a Facebook extremist? Did you get the warning? Well, if so, head to briannicholshow.com forward slash shop. You can get your Facebook extremist t-shirt with it personalized, you can actually insert your name into the shirt, head over there, personalize the shirt. Also, uh, we have our uh, awesome new backpacks. Yeah, just sparked by a, a Twitter user asking for a backpack. By the way, it's not just any Twitter user, it's Chris. Chris is one of my amazing Twitter followers, so thank you for all the love and support too. Um, but yes, we, we have a great partner here at Proud Libertarian, so thank you for all their support. BrianNicholsShow.com forward slash shop, and of course, use code TBNS at checkout, 10% off, not just the Brian Nichols Show shop, but also all goodies from Proud Libertarian code TBNS at checkout 10% off your entire order. And then one final ask. It requires $0 and maybe two to five seconds of your time. And that is heading to briannicholshow.com forward slash reviews. Okay. Maybe like two to five minutes. Actually, you know what? We'll say exactly two minutes because all I'm going to ask you to do is do a quick five-star rating and review. You can do that right there on briannicholshow.com forward slash reviews. And then of course you can go check out our amazing shop. But first, please go ahead, give us a five-star rating and review. And oh, oh, by the way, yes, I can't forget this. Back to our, our amazing swag. I forgot. Yes. Hashtag uh, TBNS uh, sells liberty. Hashtag TBNS sells liberty. I want to see your liberty swag. Email it to me as well. Brian at briannicholshow.com. Uh, yeah, I want to make sure I didn't miss that. But with that being said, that's all I had for you here on Wednesday's episode. Coming up here on Friday, we have the host of the Home Builders Hero podcast, and he is the owner of Bellman Homes, David Bellman. Now, the internet's a weird place. I tweeted a picture of lumber from the fall to the springtime, or I guess it was June, the difference in price 
Rob Schneider retweets it. The tweet goes viral. And then, lo and behold, it's David Bellman's original Facebook account that had posted the original tweet. It was his actual post. He did the lumber setup. And the Internet's a funny place. We were able to not only have a great conversation, uh, but now I, I'm actually going to be over on his podcast here coming up uh, the next Monday uh, airing. Let's see. Today's July 7th, so it'll be airing on Monday the 12th. Um, so we've developed a very good uh, friendship thus far, and it's just funny how that the Internet is just a funny place. But yes, you get to hear the direct impact, not just uh, a, a direct impact of what direct impact of these uh, crazy economic policies we've seen both from Trump and from Biden and the inflation that has come as a result of that, uh, but also the impact on a business owner directly. It was a, a great opportunity, not only to he- learn about uh, David's, uh, you know, his role as a business owner, but also what he is doing to help his community, helping build homes for veterans. A great conversation. And yes, it all is due to Rob Schneider. So thanks, Rob Schneider. Uh, so with that being said, folks, make sure you hit the subscribe button. If you're on YouTube, hit that magic notification bell so you're not missing a single time we go live. But with that being said, it's Brian Nichols signing off here on The Brian Nichols Show. We'll see you Friday. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com. Audio production for The Brian Nichols Show is brought to you by DB Podcast Audio. Learn more by emailing inquiries to william at dbpodaudio.com.